Our scripture reading today is found in Philippians 1, 12 through 30. In the few Bibles, it'll be on pages, start on page 1229, unless you have the large print. I didn't look up what page is for that, but it is Philippians 1, 12 through 30. And I know that a lot of you people have on your smartphones, and you can find it quicker than I can. So uh, I'll give you just a minute to uh, find that. Advancing the cause of Christ through suffering. Hmm, how many of us want to sign up for that mission? Who wants to suffer? No show of hands? That's what he's calling us to do. Advancing the cause of Christ through suffering. Okay, let's go ahead and read our scripture. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to part and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way, by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. May God add his blessing to his word. All right. Whew. Well, 
how many of you were, were really excited when you opened your bulletin today and, and saw that title, Through Suffering. <laughs> Everyone's on pins and needles, looking forward to leaving here with a lot of joy and, and hope and excitement today, aren't you? <laughs> a little bit of a different uh, sermon title and one that I really didn't expect to, to teach on when we started planning this series and and I started praying about it and, and working through it and, and uh, this was not on my list of topics. And as we've gone through this series and, and learned about different ways that we can advance the cause of Christ, different ways that we can promote the gospel through prayer, through giving, through, uh, through the things that we do and the way we treat others and, and even last week talking about public praise. I don't, even, I don't even remember exactly what happened in, in the moment, but at some point I, maybe I came across this passage of scripture we looked at today or something and it just struck me that in the New Testament, time and time again, one of the ways that they talk about advancing the cause of Christ over and over again is through their suffering. And, uh, you know, we may not always suffer in exactly the same ways that they suffered in their day or for the same reasons, but suffering is no stranger to this world, is it? And suffering is something that God's people have, have experienced and identified with for as long as God's had people. Right along with the rest of the world. You know, there's a, a myth in a lot of churches, especially in America today, that if you come to Christ, all that suffering stuff is a thing of the past. And you should live in victory, right? You should live in prosperity. And, and if, you're, if you're not, then there's a problem. You know, it's, it's, your, it's your perspective, or it's your faith is too small, or, or something is wrong, because there's no reason for God's people to live in anything other than goodness and prosperity and victory. And we've talked about that whole myth before, haven't we? But in reality, when you look at the Bible and the, and the founders of our faith, the founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, and his apostles, and just about anywhere else in Scripture, you find that that's just not the case. There's a story just in America about 150 years ago, kind of like an American Job. If you're not familiar with Job in the Old Testament, it's one of the most ancient stories in the Old Testament. It's about a guy that had everything. And then in some sort of weird cosmic test, Satan strips him of everything. God says you can't take his life. But he takes his family. He takes his wealth. He takes it all and reduces Job to just a sick you know, heap of grief and mess because Satan said the only reason that he loves you is because you've blessed him you take those blessings away he would not care at all about you God and there's a kind of a modern version of this that happened about a hundred and a little less than 150 years ago and instead of the guy's name being Job it was Horatio and instead of being from uh, ancient Near East, he was from Chicago. And this guy had wealth, had family, he had, uh, had it all, and he loved God. He was, a, he was a Christian attorney in Chicago from back in the day when, when, uh, when Christians could be attorneys. <laughs> Sorry, I just... 
<laughs> no good. Uh, sorry, sorry. If you're an attorney and you're here, or you have friends and family, I didn't mean it. I just... Anyway, he had a lot of investments, real estate and things in, uh, in Chicago. He lost just about all of it in the, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Uh, only picture I found of it, but, and it's kind of hard to tell what's going on, but things are just demolished. It left about 100,000 people homeless. Huge fires just swept through the city of Chicago. Took him years and years to recover and rebuild from it. Around that same time, he lost his only son to scarlet fever. And then about two years later, after he had worked really hard to help people who had been left homeless and so forth by the fires in Chicago, and uh, his family was going to take a break. They were going to travel over to England. They were friends with the preacher D.L. Moody there and, and they wanted to vacation over there and just take some time away from everything no doubt just to get away from all the tragedy that had happened for a little while and, and so he booked passage on a French ship something came up business wise where he had to send his family on and he said I'll be right behind you on the next boat and on uh, November 22nd 1873 the French vessel, don't ask me to say the name, I'm no good with French, but uh, that they were sailing on crashed into another iron vessel in the middle of the ocean, just, uh, in the middle of the dark, you know, at night, and uh, reports vary. I saw two hours, I saw 12 minutes as far as how long it took before the ship went under and carried the vast majority of its passengers down with it, over 226 people. And uh, at least four of those, four of those were his four daughters. All of his children gone. In, in about two to three years, all of his wealth gone. He got a cable from his wife, simply said, saved alone. Kind of a modern day Job. And that guy was a Christian. He loved the Lord. We're no strangers to suffering. But I'll tell you, in our culture today, we, we have a weird relationship with, with suffering, even compared to the rest of the world. We, we convince ourselves that we shouldn't have to suffer, and that suffering should be avoidable. All the medical advances all the science and technology that we have at our fingertips we've created and, and with the wealth as well that we have in America we have this mindset that no one should ever have to suffer and that, that feeling, that sentiment is where a lot of people get hung up with God because when, the, when suffering does come or when they see suffering across the globe you know, in third world countries and things like that they, they ask the question how could a good God allow such suffering to happen? From what I've read and what I've learned and heard, and that's not a question that people ask in other parts of the world. Where they're born into a reality where there is no question that there will be suffering. They're born into suffering. There's suffering all around them. There's no pretending that people shouldn't have to suffer. There's only the reality that everyone does 
suffer. And it was into such a world that Jesus was born as well. You read the accounts of the Gospels and you see Him going and ministering and healing and there was so much disease, so much sickness, so much death, so much tragedy that you wouldn't even hardly call it tragedy anymore because it was commonplace. We live in a world where there is suffering and Jesus Himself said, in this world you will have trouble. There will be suffering here. Whether you're one of my people or not, And sometimes it seems almost especially if you're one of my people because then you add the fact that they will persecute you just for my name. And that's been the case throughout history. So what what about today's topic? The amazing thing when you look and read the New Testament and you read about suffering that the early church faced is their attitude and and their perspective on it. The way that they talk about it. You wouldn't even think that they were talking about suffering with the tone that they use. It almost seems cavalier. It doesn't seem normal, that's for sure. It, It seems a little crazy. Certainly, it seems like foolishness to our culture to our ears. I want to look at a particular passage today because I think that it's important for us to get a healthier, more God-oriented perspective on suffering in general, but, but also to come to a place where we don't just see suffering as something to dread and to avoid at all costs, but as something somewhat inevitable and something that can bring hope and something that can bring something good. We read today from a passage in Philippians. It was the first chapter of a letter written from Paul to the church in Philippi. And it's super, super appropriate for this because here we have a suffering apostle writing to a suffering church about their suffering Savior. Paul was in chains for the gospel. The church in Philippi faced intense persecution themselves for their faith in Jesus Christ. And even though the context of this and their particular suffering is the context of persecution, I believe that the lessons that we can draw from this apply to any kind of suffering that we face. And we know, when we're honest about it, that we face a wide variety of sufferings right here. We're not trying to say that our suffering is worse than anyone else's suffering or anything like that, but we all face suffering. Stick around if you haven't had it yet. (laughs) It'll find you out in this world. And so let's just look a little bit at at what Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, a, a suffering apostle writing to a suffering church. And he wrote the first thing that one of the first things we read. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So you might have thought that I was going to be really mad about what's happened to me, that I'd be really frustrated, that I'd be really disappointed, that I'd be angry. 
that here I am called to pursue the mission of God to spread the gospel everywhere and I'm stuck in chains how am I supposed to do that here now you might have expected me to feel that way about it but in truth brothers and sisters what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel it's a whole different tone than we would expect certainly perhaps even a different tone than the church would have expected as they would have been frustrated that Paul was in chains God why is this happening why is your servant Paul stuck in chains this mighty warrior for the gospel who has been spreading it everywhere and planting churches we need Paul out there on the mission bill we don't need him locked up somewhere in chains but Paul says I want you to know something my being in chains has actually served to advance the gospel and really this hits right at the main point that I want to get across to you today and that is let's stop viewing suffering as just a catastrophe and start seeing it as an opportunity and I know that sounds crazy but just hang in there with me <laughs> let's stop viewing sufferings as, as a catastrophe because that's how we view it and that's how our culture views it that's our default mode and so this is going to take a lot of determination of mind and spirit to change our viewpoint on something and say instead of looking at it as wow this is just a huge catastrophe let's start seeing them also as opportunities that's how the Apostle Paul viewed his suffering and we see other examples of this across the pages of our New Testament he goes on and he writes as a result, as a result of his being in chains, as a result of his sufferings it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become obedient and, and I mean confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear friends that wouldn't have happened if Paul had shown up to prison angry at the injustice of it all sulking self-pity if he had shown up with that kind of attitude why Lord why is this happening to me if he had shown up angry at the palace guards that represented the injustice if he had shown up you know just frustrated with his lot in life do you think palace guard would have come to know Christ do you think the brothers and sisters in Christ would have squared, you know, squared their shoulders back a little more and, and stood a little taller for the gospel I don't think so see Paul had learned to not view his sufferings as a catastrophe but as an opportunity he even says yes and I will continue to rejoice <laughs> that's a word that's paired with suffering and trials and troubles far too much for our comfort <laughs> throughout scripture but yes I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of, of the spirit of Jesus Christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance Paul has hope and, and just as an aside you know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about advancing the cause of Christ through prayer. And we talked about, you know, praying for God to send workers and praying for God to provide for those workers and, and praying that the lost will be found. 
Here's one to add to your list. Pray for those who are suffering. Not only for their deliverance, but for it to be an opportunity. If I ever come and, and pray for you at the hospital, uh, you know, sometimes when, when my head is screwed on straight, I don't just pray for you to get better and feel better, but for you to be able to be a witness. To be able to serve the Lord right in that season, right where you're at. And I don't pray that because I'm uh, just mean. <laughs> I pray that because it's what I see in Scripture. It's what we're called to do. And I want to mention something about when, when Paul says, turn out for my deliverance, watch what he says next. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, a lot of times when we pray for deliverance, we've got one end in mind, right? One way that that prayer can be answered to our satisfaction. Anything less uh, is some kind of unanswered prayer or however we choose to view it. But for Paul, deliverance might come in any shape or form. If it's him being released and justice being served, and him being able to go out into the mission field and be an encouragement to the church and all that, great, that's great for them. If it's for him to go on to his rest that was prepared for him from the sufferings that he had been suffering, that's gain for him. <laughs> no more suffering. With his Savior. Oh, to have such a perspective ourselves. Whatever happens, he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Just to point out, whenever you suffer, in their case, they were suffering due to persecution. And, and those who were doing the persecuting were necessarily watching, right? And, and their spirit and their attitude, they're, they're viewing that suffering as an opportunity and not just as a catastrophe, said something to those who were watching, didn't it? I've got news for us. When we suffer, whether for our faith or just with the sufferings that come from life, there's people who are watching you. And they're watching me. They're watching when you're in that hospital bed or wherever you may find yourself. Or when you're in the midst of tragedy or grief. They're watching wherever you find yourself. It might be a doctor that's watching or a nurse that's watching. It might be a family member or a child or a grandchild that's watching. They're watching you as you suffer alongside of someone who's suffering, right? As you walk beside someone who is ill. Or, and I don't, I don't bring this up to heap any kind of guilt or really even to pressure you or anything like that. But just to say, this is how 
the cause of Christ is advanced through suffering. It wouldn't be advanced through suffering if no one was watching. But every time we suffer, there's people who are watching. And they see the way we conduct ourselves. And they see our perspective and our attitude and our heart. They see whether we view it as a catastrophe. Why me? This is a disaster. Or whether we see it as an opportunity and that there's hope there. And confidence in the Lord. And lastly, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is what I mean. The New Testament's kind of just crazy. <laughs> Listen to that. It has been granted to you to suffer, as though it's a gift that's been given to you or maybe even an opportunity it has been granted to you let's stop viewing sufferings as just a catastrophe and start seeing them as an opportunity at first I was a little bit nervous about preaching this message because you know I'm all of 34 years old, uh, about to be 35 this summer. I'm moving on up. And, I mean, really, up until recently, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about suffering, and I still don't really now, but, you know, I mean, Julie went through all that health stuff, and y'all walked with us through so much of that, but, you know, sitting in an ICU room with your pregnant wife puts some perspective on things. But even at that, there's people who go into that situation and, and they don't get their wife back or they don't get their child back from that situation. I, I don't pretend to be able to preach this message because I, of what I've experienced, you know, that I've been there and done it and so now, you know, learn from me. And that's the thing about suffering, isn't it? No matter what you've suffered, you can always find someone who's suffered more, Right? But I preach it because Jesus did. And I preach it with confidence because his apostles did. And not only did they teach it, they lived it. And time and again, I keep, every time I say anything hard, that I feel like it's hard, I always just love to mention that our faith is one where it's not just some leader that got up there and said y'all ought to do this and this and this and this while I live it up here on the hill you know in the mansion on the hilltop no we have a savior and, and his apostles as well who said do this and you can watch me and see how it's done <laughs> and they went right on and did it and each of them they didn't just call us to view suffering as an opportunity they each viewed suffering as an opportunity themselves and that's how I can stand up here and ask you to do it today. Because otherwise, it just seems crazy. But I want to give you just a few suggestions for what to do with this as you go from this place. Uh, some of you may be in the midst of suffering, but most of us probably not in this very moment. And so I would challenge you to make up your mind now. 
Make up your spirit if you can do that now. Determine now that when suffering comes, because it comes, that you will view it as an opportunity. I'm not saying that in that moment when the doctor steps in the room and says it's cancer, that you should jump up and say, well, hallelujah, I've been waiting for an opportunity like this. (laughs) I'm not suggesting that, but I'm suggesting think through it now so that when that day comes and you go home and you're processing all this, that you can begin to pray and say, you know, honestly with God, God, I'm, I'm scared about this. But help me to see this as an opportunity. Show me ways that as I go through this journey, that I can be a blessing to others, that I can promote the gospel, that I can advance the cause of Christ. Make up your mind now. If we don't make up our minds now, it'll be pretty hard to do it in the moment, I would think. Secondly, recognize your need for the Holy Spirit. This is not something that is in your power to do as far as saving anyone or, uh, you know, advancing. All what we can do is have a good perspective on it and a prayerful perspective and we can be faithful. We can be a faithful witness to our Savior as we go through it. But we've got to leave it to the Holy Spirit on taking our best efforts and using them to advance the cause of Christ in the lives of other people around us that are watching. Don't put that pressure on yourself in the midst of your suffering to somehow, you know, bless everybody. Just be faithful, look for opportunities the best you can, and trust the Holy Spirit to use your faithfulness to bless someone else. And last thing I would say is, understand that some kinds of suffering... I don't know a better way to say this. Some kinds of suffering rob us of ourselves. Uh, What I mean is, I mean there's obvious examples like Alzheimer's that can rob a person of themselves. And they're not themselves anymore. It's just not the same person. You know, some, some people with Alzheimer's, you know, sometimes you hear stories of they were the gentlest, kindest person and then that happened and all of a sudden they were mean or something like that, you know, even violent. That's not them. And if you're walking with someone like that, don't be distraught about, wow, you know, what about this whole opportunity thing, and what about his witness, and he would be mortified if if he saw that this was what was happening to us. Just remind everybody that comes through, this is not, you know, remind the nurses, I wish you could have known him. This is what he is like, you know, and, and just... You be the one that's faithful in that situation when they can't be. Medications do this to people too. Pain can do this to people. And so I say especially to family members of people going through this, be understanding that sometimes the sufferings we experience rob us of ourselves, if that makes sense. And and secondly, if you come out of a season like that, don't beat yourself up for the way you acted or treated or whatever and instead focus on now celebrating how God saw you through that difficult circumstance and allow that suffering then that you went through then to be a blessing to others now.
so proud of so many examples, more than I can enumerate here, from our own church family in just the last few years. Of people who have used and viewed their sufferings as an opportunity. You can think of several. I've always been proud of my wife and impressed by her ability to, even when she's really sick and, and sitting there receiving you know, IV fluids or whatever for dehydration, she can still manage to brighten everybody's day that walks through the room, you know. And, and that was one of the hardest things about when, when we had the whole pulmonary embolism and, and uh, she was on crazy medication and all kinds of stuff. And she wasn't herself at all. And, and that was so, that was hard on me because I was like, <laughs> I was telling everybody, if you only knew, you know, she's the sunshiniest person you ever saw normally, you know. And, but, you know, she didn't, she hasn't just beat herself up about, well, that season of life, why wasn't I kinder, or why wasn't I what, you know, but instead used the opportunity afterwards to even write about her experience and, and how faithful God has been to us through that, and, and it's been an encouragement to others, and I thank God for her example. But there's so many others in the church who have, who have done that. I mean, just recently, you know, Ruth Cootie, still witnessing to people in the hospital and, and the workers and all that, that stayed with her. and uh, Arnold Cootie, all, you know, went to Ohio and witnessed to his doctor there and said, you know, you need to know Jesus. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. <laughs> he, he viewed his suffering as an opportunity. And so many other examples, you know, I mean, the Treadways through their difficult circumstance, their love for each other and their love for God. So many widows in our midst who in their grief strive forward faithfully in the faith and still an encouragement to others. We have so many great examples right here in our midst. And of course, we have the greatest example of all in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, these words come just a few verses after what we've studied today. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our suffering Savior who didn't view suffering as a catastrophe, but as an opportunity for us. So when it's granted that you or I have the opportunity to suffer with our Savior, let's take advantage of it the best we can. I open by telling you about Horatio. His full name was Horatio Spafford. And after receiving the cable, saved alone, he embarked to head to England to join his wife in their grief. And as they passed over the Atlantic, they came to a certain spot, and the captain came to him and said, I believe we're right about the spot where you're the ship went down. Your daughters were lost. 
And he went down into his cabin. Couldn't sleep, as you can imagine. And the thought formed in his mind at that moment. It is well. God's will be done. It is well. And he would later, from that thought, pen one of the most famous hymns. Still loved by all generations of the church. It is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. In this world we'll have trouble. Guaranteed. God's people have always been a little bit peculiar because of the way we approach suffering. Our perspective on it. Our attitude in it and towards it. Because it takes a peculiar type of person to see something like suffering as something that's been granted an opportunity. So doubtless, you know, if you're here and you're not a Christian and you're still trying to sort all this out, this probably just sounds downright crazy to you. But when you have a Savior like our Savior, it really is a joy and a privilege and an honor to suffer for Him, especially if by suffering we might somehow advance the cause of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the great supper, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We confess, God, that we often live in fear and worry of suffering. And it's easy to descend into seasons of self-pity and complaining. That's our tendency. That's our way we were kind of hardwired to start with. So Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to see suffering differently. Not just as a catastrophe, but as an opportunity for your kingdom. We certainly can't hope to do that apart from your help. Advance the cause of Christ through us by any means you can. We pray it boldly. In the name of Jesus. Amen.